This is a show about individual experience and personal identity. There may be times when folks use identifying words or phrases that don't feel right to you. That's part of what we're exploring here. Please listen with an open heart, and as always, I welcome your polite, engaged feedback, and I encourage you to continue the conversation in your own life and with your own community. Welcome to Query. Hey, Queros, Cammy here. This week's episode of the podcast is a chat with the amazing Peppermint. You might know her from RuPaul's Drag Race. She was a delight to talk to. We had a great conversation. And also, I'm super excited to say that like hundreds of people uh, were at my first stand-up class at Dynasty Typewriter. I've got another one this Sunday, and all of them can be purchased individually for 30 bucks. What I love about this class is that it is directly keeping a venue's doors open. You know, for live venues, this is a time when it's hard to even figure out what you can offer. Some restaurants can maybe opt into takeout options. And, you know, for venues, it really is these like digital shows and classes that benefit them, that keep them alive, you know. And I love the live venues where I perform. And also for comics, you know, a lot of us need to or want to cut out the middleman and don't necessarily want to work with a venue if we can do it ourselves, you know, streaming from our homes, especially if this is what the income we rely upon. So I just want to say that it's been wonderful to be able to partner with Dynasty. And a lot of that is because of you. The listeners on this show have donated when I've done live shows and you've backed this class. And that helps me to be able to do the small part I can to keep these venues open. So you can find out more information about that at DynastyTypewriter.com. It's, uh, there are two more Sundays, the 25th and the 1st of November, and it's at 2 p.m. Pacific. It's just a stand-up class for anybody that wants to learn about stand-up, doing stand-up. Enjoy the episode. I've been feeling wrong, but I'm still holding on, darling, I know, I know, I know it's careless. I always start by having guests introduce themselves. Would you introduce yourself? Absolutely. Hey, everyone. I am Peppermint, and I am a citizen of the world. (laughs) (laughs) You know what? We haven't had that intro yet. That's the first of those intros. Yeah. How how is your... I know you were joining us after having already been at another, some sort of virtual event today. Yeah. Um, How is your work going right now? Are you finding that you're able to work in these times? I'm doing a lot of work, but it's not necessarily, um, I found, I found myself in, in, in the wake of summer 2020, um, doing a lot of the, the work that folks like us often do, um, to enlighten people, or at least open the door on our experiences um, to help bridge a lot of those gaps. And so there's a lot of conversations taking place this summer in light of just everything that's been going on uh, with BLM, with the protests, with Trans Lives Matter, um, with with pride, you know, um, you know, over the summer taking on an obviously and much needed different kind of feeling than it had. And so... I was, I was, I've been engaged in a lot of those conversations. Um, and I have been able to, uh, have a couple of, um, moments here and there. I did a, a drag show or two myself. I have 
an album that I've produced and that I'm going to be releasing uh, next month. Um, and so there's little things like that. I would be, I would totally be lying to you if I said, oh, this is just like last year and it's totally a great substitute. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah I mean, well, first of all, congrats on the album. And second of Thank all, you. thanks for the candor. I, I think that that's, that makes a lot of sense to me. I guess, um, I have been seeing a lot of drag performers transition to like a more virtual space, but mm -hmm. I'm used to, I mean, I've, I've done stand up in a virtual space as well. It is, it's doable, um, but it is totally bonkers <laughs> also, you know, like it's not, it's, do, it's doable. <laughs> I don't know. What's the vibe on doing drag, virtual drag? It's, How does that feel? It's, it's literally, I mean, I don't know. I mean, obviously there's some, some, a little bit of an essence of stand-up comedy for other live yeah. performers, like drag performers. Um, look, it's like you can, it's it's just ego busting because doing a live <laughs> drag show at a concert or at a venue where it's sold out, you're in it for the minute you hit the stage. You're like, this is going to, I mean, you know, everybody has bat bombs every once in a while. But for the most part, if you know your stick and you know your routine and you know your show, it's going to go great. They're going to love it. They're going to be great. They're going to be happy. They came for a drag show. That's what they're getting. In the, you know, there's so many things that can bust up the energy and be like, you know, total buzzkills in the in this era of Zoom drag shows. You know, like the internet going round, wrong. People are like, what's the link? I can't get in. You know, all that stuff. And then you're doing the show and you're like doing lip syncing that like, you know, Madonna or Donna Summer song. And you realize when your neighbor starts banging on the floor, which is their <laughs> ceiling, your floor, to oh. shut the hell up. And then yeah. all of a sudden, you're just this, somebody in your living room dancing around, you know, and you're like, oh, gosh, what am I doing? There's one where I was Absolutely. like, I, like, I got to stop this. <laughs> <laughs> before you before you hopped on, that's kind of what I was talking to about the with the producers. Um, my, you know, my girlfriend has like a normal... She works in publishing. She, like, works in books. Uh -huh. And so she's on meetings all day, but they're, like, you know, business meetings. But then uh -huh. I will be, like, within earshot doing whatever it is. Like, podcasting or, like, fully a show. Or there's just, like, uh -huh. like a... Like, nobody actually wants to overhear a full hour of stand-up by accident. Like, that's, that's, it shouldn't be a choice. By like, accident. Not, that's the truth. Yeah, it's that's, not I like a... You know, it's not... There's this thing in stand-up called hijack shows, which is, like, essentially where you're performing in the middle of a bar and the uh -huh. bar patrons don't know there's going to be a show. It's like oh, everybody's okay, having a yeah. good time and then suddenly a stand-up show starts. And <laughs> it's always terrible. It's always terrible for everyone. And that's what all of 2020 feels like. It's like just yes, this, yes. this Surprise! I'm my, from within my own home. Yeah. Um, well, I also would say, I mean, for you, there's also a different amount of effort going on in terms of prep before a show, which I would imagine maybe it's harder to feel like one would want to do if you're, if then you're just going to be like in your own living room. Uh, but maybe that's not true. There, is, I mean, there is a certain amount of prep that, I mean, there's a, there, no, there is a specific amount of prep that has to take place. I don't want to make, it's not like, oh, it's so easy. Especially now that sort of the, 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 the pressure and the onus of being the technical person, the director, the, you know, all that stuff 
is on our shoulders. Whereas before I was in a position, I, I should preface it by saying, I believe that drag entertainers are some of the true Renaissance people because many of us, not all of us, but many drag entertainers do their own hair, their own makeup, their own music editing, their own um, PR, their own, you know, make their um, own costumes, make their also? own costumes. You know, they have a bring their fashion background into it. They have to figure out how to be like a stand up comic. And then if they're doing impersonations, they have to be do character study, like all of these technical things and go into it. Uh, and so that's uh, that's enough. And now I'm the IT tech, you know, and I, know. I never forget this summer. And I now I'm not running. And I'm so sorry. This was not the attitude that I carried into to our, to this conversation today. <laughs> but a month ago, I was sitting for, down for a very important conversation with a bunch of other folks. And we were having this conversation about uh, Black transness and everything. And then my internet stopped, stopped and gave out, which was in the next, all the way at the other end of the apartment. And I'm like, oh my gosh, I have to get into this. I have to go switch that internet and get back in this conversation. So I ran from one end of the apartment all the way to the other and did, you don't you know, because I had already done a show, I think the night before or something, and I did a full slide down the hall on a silk cape. Cape, mm-hmm. not robe, not <laughs> shirt, not pillowcase, cape down the hall. And I fell and I tore my meniscus, apparently. Oh, no. Uh, says the doctor after having the MRI a few weeks later. Um, and I, and I, but the dedicated person I am, I crawled to that internet box, Come reset on. it while I was crying, <laughs> crawled on. all the way back down the hall, crawled up onto this chair, <gasps> and fin- and went back into the Zoom and continued like nothing ever happened. And I was like, I mean, I was in pain, but I, th- my girlfriend who was also on the call was like, I didn't even know any of that happened. We just thought you left and came back, which happens all the time when somebody's internet drops. And so, yeah, that just let me know, okay, I'm suffering. I've heard of suffering for your art, but this is like a whole new level. <laughs> well, I also just have to say for the listeners that I have torn my meniscus twice. I have had two surgeries for this. And <sighs> Should I get surgery? It is incredible. First of all, the entire oh process, God. I just want to say in your, that it is incredibly painful, Peppermint, not yes! surgery, but the tear. That yes, shit yes! really hurts. Yes! That is very painful, and it gives you a, a strangely sized knee. It really does. Oh, my God, my knee. Th- that knee becomes a weird size. Um, I don't know. I've had a couple. We'll talk about it after the Okay, call. we'll talk about we'll it like a, yeah. We'll go like a, through some medical pros and cons. Um, yeah. But mine was not uh, tripping on a silk cape, and that's one of my biggest problems in life, is that, that I've never injured myself that way. So... I got still things to It's shoot. a badge. It's a badge of honor now. Yeah. Well, I also want to ask you about like this pivot that you're talking about because I'm just, it's, you know, for me, the type of stand-up that I do, I've always crossed into, like, I think other people would call it political, but I'm just like, well, this is just, I don't know what, this is personal and my personal is political. But I don't know what that is like for you in terms of this change that's happening where you're like an IT professional now. Um, <laughs> so there's, already, there's this change happening in performance, but then also 
being on panels where you're being asked to speak about larger social and systemic issues, is that something that feels like what you were prepped to do? You know, like like you were you were uh, hoping to step into that? Or is that something that just happened gradually? You know, I think it's just like what you described. Um, he, all of a sudden, I'm having these conversations with people who are scholars in the social arts. <laughs> and, and, I'm, and I actually feel confident that the experiences that I have qualify me, or at least equip me, to be in, to, to participate in those conversations. And I remember, you know, th- I've always had, as a, as a drag performer, I've always, it, it was, I don't know what it was. Maybe it's just the, the fact that I witnessed what I witnessed in the 90s a- connected to drag performers and when I moved to New York City. <clears throat> and, you know, obviously AIDS and HIV was, and still is, but was, was, a, was a huge thing we were dealing with then. Um, and it was ravishing the community, obviously. And drag entertainers were, were doing their part as they could, when they could. And a lot of times bringing that conversation into their, into their show. And so that kind of rubbed off on me. And, and I always just thought that drag entertainment should be political, should involve some of those things. If it's not, then I feel like you're kind of working against, you're like actually trying to um, stifle an energy that just naturally exists in drag performance. That's that's my opinion. And so uh, that was always, a, you know, being involved in charity and speaking out on behalf, you know, uh, on issues that I thought were important to the community was always a part of my sort of performance style and what I was doing publicly. But then it wasn't until I read um, a book called A Transgender History by, I think, by Susan Stryker, who basically said queer people in this country and in this world that we're in, we're in only in one world, you know, we are inherently more political. You know, people uh, who belong to marginalized and oppressed groups are going to be more political because they are, you know, people are working against them being in public. And so having to speak out, um, you know, for your rights so that you can t- sit in on the bus or use the bathroom are basic things, but that's what we're doing. Um, and so then it was, I, it kind of dawned on me. I was like, okay, then I'm doing what I'm supposed to be doing. So let's keep doing it. That's pretty beautiful, actually. <laughs> I gotta say. How does it feel, um, how does it feel today for you in the drag community? I don't know that vibe right now for you. I think um, I'm specifically asking about in, I mean, like, I'm not in the community, so this is my outsider perspective is, like, that it is a cis-dominated community. Um, and, yeah, not so shy. No, yeah, she's <laughs> your face. Right. So um, I remember, you know, I remember, like, the sort of bunch of articles or, you know, hot takes um, that were happening around your participation in the drag community a few years ago. I think that's a few years ago, but I don't know what it is like for you today. Well, it's much uh, less polarizing, I think, at least from where I stand. Um, And there was always like, 
when I was coming up in the as a drag toddler, I don't know that makes that sounds weird. Um, <laughs> as a young dragster, whatever. <laughs> I think a toddler makes sense. As a young toddling on your heels, yeah. like that makes. I mean, maybe you never toddle yeah. on your heels, but I only toddle on heels. So <laughs> anyway. <laughs> um. And so I, as a, you know, growing up, gr- coming up in the drag world, I, I remember seeing these amazing drag performers and some, many of whom were trans. And so the, the, there did, there wasn't really a, a um, distinction for me. I can't say there wasn't a distinction, but there wasn't a separation. Uh, there were always trans performers in the drag world when I was growing up. Um, many of them were like called you, this is not politically correct folks. So please no one learn and take from this, just learn it and keep it. Um, we were, we would call them titty Queens and those were the drag Queens who had had breast enhancements. Right. And so, uh, I don't know what the difference is between a so-called titty queen and a trans woman doing drag. I don't know. Um, other than Back then, many of those girls who were self-described titty queens were also describing themselves as men who do drag, but I have breast implants. I don't, I, I think that that is closer to where I sit. Like, I think that that is in the trans umbrella, but I can't speak for those people. <sighs> that allowed people to kind of like get, become comfortable with the idea of those folks doing drag, obviously. Um, whereas when I, was doing watching drag race and then doing drag race, there really wasn't a lot of conversation around the trans people and the gender nonconforming and the non-binary people who were also doing drag. And so, you know, I certainly didn't see that in in a lot of the seasons. I mean, of course there were there were trans women who were associated with the show. So Neat came out on the reunion. Monica Beverly Hills came out in her episode right before they eliminated her. Um, and so there were other trans folks on the show, obviously, but just like the whole transness, their transness was something that was seemed seen. The the conversation about their transness was as if their transness was a hindrance to them doing drag, you know. Yeah. And so that was a completely different context for me. And I was like, I'm not doing that. I'm gonna go in and do it the way I want to do it. Um. And there were some some really, there was all kinds of Reddit. I, I peeped a few Reddit pages or whatever those things are called. <laughs> oh no! Where yeah, and I was like, oh my! And some some of the vitriol was coming from folks who were like drag supporters. I don't know who they were, and then some of them were coming from people who were self described trans people or whatever. Two un- ends of the conversation that were like, I don't think a trans woman should do this or a drag queen shouldn't do that or blah 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 blah. Um, and so a lot of that was really difficult for me, and and. I'm insulated from that now. I don't know if I'm just not checking for it because I don't care or, you know, like I'm, 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 I spend a lot less time trying to justify my existence in the spaces that I know that I'm making a contribution to, you know? Yeah. I mean, well, first of all, I'm glad to hear that that is better for you. Um, I would, you know, I would really want that for you. So I'm, I'm glad to hear that that's true. Maybe some of that is also, I wonder if it's, um, you know, I think I I use the word takes deliberately because I do think that like a lot of times, specifically around identity, even within the queer community, where I think for some reason we sometimes think we don't have this going on, 
um, especially cis white people think this. Um, but I think that, I think that, yeah, I think we can get kind of like take obsessed, you know, like pretty, pretty, um, into the idea of having an opinion on somebody. I mean, it's certainly Mm -hmm. what like, uh, an unnamed mm-hmm. author of a certain wizarding ser- series is doing right now, like really getting into her takes, you know, like, <laughs> and I think that, I think that what happens is that like, eventually that stops being as interesting. I mean, you know, on a particular mm-hmm. topic, it does not mean that the underlying systemic issue goes away, but you just continue mm-hmm, to exist. Mm-hmm. So maybe people, it's like, what, what are you, are, you're going to say the same thing you said last year? Cause I continue to exist. So yeah, you know, I think that's also <laughs> yeah. that's part of it. Do you think that's connected to um, cancel culture? Like, do you think that is what fuels cancel culture? People's, mm. like, self-indulgence with their takes? Oh, man. I mean, I don't know. I feel like I have a lot of opposing views about cancel culture. I'd really like to hear what you think about it, too. Me, too. Yeah, I have a lot of opposing views because part of it is, like, you know, doing the job that I've done for as long as I have, like I have gotten feedback for the entirety of my career about like Mm -hmm. using better language, being more inclusive, like in the queer community, I hear from people all the, all the fucking time, what they want me to say. And I will also say, Mm -hmm. I also hear a lot of feedback from straight people. So like, I am not, feedback (laughs) is not new and it has been part of my job the entire time I've been doing my job. Maybe what feels like cancel culture to me are like the bigger people these really huge shiny stars getting Mm -hmm. some of that feedback that like, I'll think a Mm -hmm. lot of people Mm -hmm. have been getting the whole time. That's kind of what what I think it is, is like people who didn't get that feedback before. Yeah. We know that we, we were never really in the room always, but we know that there are those stories of those celebrities who really were just surrounded celebrities and politicians who are just surrounded by like yes people mm-hmm. who wouldn't like I'm I don't think anyone is really going up to Donald Trump and saying look you look you look like this you sound like this and this is what cuz I don't think anybody's doing that. I think, you know, who knows, I don't really know. And so I agree that it's just like they're they they, they are insulated from being and protected from um having to have have more as as much accountability as the average person i should say yeah probably i don't know i mean what do you how do you what do you think is happening with that when you see well uh, that's what I, I that is what i think is happening um i think that i mean i've witnessed it uh i i probably participated in mm-hmm. it if i'm being honest as a like i remember being as a waiter um i was working as a drag waitress and a celebrity would come in every now and again and then Whatever they said, I mean, the customer, like the motto is the customer's always right. But like the celebrity customer is, was definitely always right. <laughs> and we, if we didn't even have it, we would go out and get it out the back door to the store, you know, like whatever. And like, oh, you're ordering sushi. This is a chicken plate. Okay, go get sushi. <laughs> you know, like, like they could do no wrong. Oh. And so, <laughs> I mean, I think that was part of that was our fault, right? You know, that's what I'm thinking. Hmm. I don't know if that's the same thing now. I'm, I I don't want to conflate a wrong order with like the Me Too movement and things like that. Yeah, I think that there there's we're in this age of accountability for a reason, and I think it's good, and I think it's necessary, and I think it's um you know people people being publicly held accountable, um especially when the conversation takes place in public or the 
the infraction or whatever they did was a public thing, then I think that that is um, important. Uh, you know, I do see that sometimes there is like there's a very thin line between us all using our pressure that we have to to let them just to, to amplify our voices. There's a thin line between that and then like, you know, everybody just here's this lady. She said something wrong. Let's get her fired. And we don't even know what the person actually did. You know what I mean? There's a thin line between that mob mentality. Yeah, I really I mean, I think that part of what you're talking about is also another way that I feel is like is that we use this one term to talk about a bunch of different things. I think that's a bunch I think of different that's things. also right. part of it is that like mm-hmm. we talk about um, a white person calling the police on a black person and actually putting someone's life in danger with the same term that we use about finding like some celebrities worst tweets. And I'm not saying that exactly. and both of those things can cause damage, but like the damage is different. And I think that what they all have in common is that they're like totally. trying to account for power differentials. But sometimes, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. sometimes I think, I think what you're talking about is that sometimes the power that somebody has as a culture right now, sometimes we're overcorrecting. That's, that's sometimes what I think. It's like the, that, that the individual sure. can, can sometimes have an overcorrection. And it's like, I think part of that is a reaction to the powerlessness that I know mm-hmm. I feel in this current presidential administration mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so it's like we are we're trying to flex ex- on, ex- on anyone on literally anyone <laughs> yeah <laughs> like, like help is there anyone I mom on? yeah literally like, please <laughs> my muscles feel very small and damaged yeah so if there's anyone that i can flex on um and some people uh and also some people really fucking deserve it so i don't know it's it's really complicated it's really complicated I agree. Back for another game. You know it. What's going on? Just one more week till Max Fun Drive. <laughs> Hard to believe. It's been a heck of a year since the last one. We're now a worker-owned co-op. We raised $50,000 for charity last year. And we've added a bunch of awesome new shows. But do you think we're ready to do it again? Absolutely. Lovely new gifts are lined up. The episodes will be amazing, and wait till everyone hears the bonus content. Yeah, plus they know to go to MaximumFun.org slash newsletter, so they're getting all the news. Oh, like that meetup day is on Thursday, March 21st. Then what's bothering you? Me? Oh, nothing. We're all set for Max Fun Drive to start on Monday, March 18th. I just didn't want you to see this coming. Check. What? Hang on! I want to talk about what you were what you were talking about before, which is like always seeing trans representation in drag culture. Um, again, this is like some really outside the community stuff. But like another kind of question that I have when um, how to say this, it's it's like if people are not getting uh, breast augmentation, there are mm-hmm. also a lot of performers who are doing like other sorts of body modification. Yeah. And yeah. I and I just I I guess I remember the breast augmentation question coming up as if that was like something that was specifically controversial in the drag community and that being interesting to me because it's like well but this person has like cheek implants and this person has fillers and this person has yeah uh, some fake hair and like 
So um, it really does feel intense to focus on just- Like a double just, standard. Yeah, like just that one surgery <laughs> is the one that you can't have, you know? Um, and is that yeah. is that inaccurate? Well, I mean, there's certainly no like list or like handbook or guideline rule book. <laughs> right. Um, when it, you know, for drag or for drag race. But um, it does, I, and no one had really, I mean, look, it, it, no one had ever, I had never actually even seen or heard anyone compare any of those things or sort of level that conversation when they're talking about drag versus other forms of body modification. In fact, even clearly in all the previous episodes that I'd watched, and then in my season, we were celebrating drag entertainers who had all types of body modification that was intended for, quote, feminizing their body. And at the time, I had had no, none of that. You know what I mean? And so it just seemed bizarre to me that, like, I'm being treated differently, not having had any surgery, but these folks have had more surgery than me, and and my breast implants or not, is the thing that could, could get could disqualify me or qualify me for being a woman or not. When I'm like, there's, you know, it just didn't make any sense to me. Um, and it felt like, a, obviously, it, it is literally the definition of a double standard. And so, I uh, yeah, that was upsetting to me. And, and that had never been brought up. We'd never talked about that. Like I said, there was no real, like, there was not really a forum for, to discuss those types of things. So when it was brought up in a, and irresponsibly, I think, in an interview, my body, my identity um, being used against me, um, that I took a lot of offense to that. And I was like, what? And I was like invoked and talking about like my like body under my clothes. It just felt so invasive by the wrong person. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> You know, well, yeah, when you say so invasive by the wrong person, I mean, who would be the right person for that? True, true, that, true. <laughs> but maybe that. you did have an answer. I'm actually, I don't know. No, I don't know. Maybe me. That's it. Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. How did, how did you first, where are you from? I don't think I actually remember this. Where are you from? I was born in Pennsylvania, in Hershey, Pennsylvania, but I grew up in Wilmington, Delaware. The same city as Joe Biden. <laughs> oh yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, cool. And w- you're you're growing up there as a kid. What what did you see around you? What types of people did you see around you? Did you see queer people? Did you see trans people? Did you see black queer and black trans people? I don't actually don't think I've, I've ever been to Wilmington, which is weird. I've been almost everywhere. You probably driven through it. If you've gone down the East Coast, I-95 runs right through it. Then I definitely um, have. Yes. <laughs> yeah. But, um, yeah, you know, I like to think, looking back, that I had a relatively diverse uh, surroundings when I was growing up, um, including my family, not necessarily in terms of queerness, but just like in terms of ideals. Um, I remember... Uh, I certainly was had moments where I was the only black person and definitely moments where I was the only queer per, queer person in the room. Um and so 
and they some of those were painful. I remember, oh my gosh, like I remember my mom signed me. I don't know why. I I know why she needed a break. My mom signed me up for Boy Scout, <laughs> and I, when she said that. I don't even remember. Like, I feel like my my soul left my body. <laughs> and I was like, what? You did what? Um, and she signed me up. She's like, you're going. And she had me put on that stupid little uniform. And I was like, ugh. And I hated it. Um, and we were driving. It was I felt like a 10-hour drive to this place. And she got me out. We were late, of course. And... I walk in and there's all these little white boys doing whatever they're doing, making their little sticks or whatever they're doing. (laughs) And I walk in and it was like, it wasn't even like a record scratch. It was like one of those scenes where, you know, you know, like in a vampire movie when all the vampires are there and a human walks into the lair (laughs) and all the vampires just know and they just turn, they don't even need, like they just know. That's what it was. And I was like, oh my God, I'm black and clearly very queer. And these little boys are looking at me like, and I don't even remember the meeting. I must have stayed because my mom dropped me off and then she came back to pick me up. I do not remember the meeting. I blocked it out. I don't remember what happened. I, I don't think I even moved. I probably sat in the chair and I probably didn't blink. And then my mom came and got me. And I told her, this is the first time that there was, speaking of power differentials, this is the first time there was an, a very clear power change. I was like, I didn't curse at my mom, but the way I communicated to her was like, bitch, you better never bring me back there again. Like, that's that's what I basically said. And she was like, oh, okay, never again. And I never had to go back oh there again. God. She instead enrolled me in 4-H, um, which was a much better experience for me. And I got to meet queer people. I was in charge. I would I'd end up taking dance class called expressive arts and then i eventually <laughs> became a counselor and was the teaching oh, yes. expressive arts to the kids well totally different experience and and i'm grateful for that but i do remember that moment where my blackness and my queerness were both i was like oh god i'm not safe in any situation you know that's i remember that <laughs> yeah i mean that brings up for me like thinking about and i've talked about this on the on the show before but like when I was a little kid, um, my older sister is, so she's three years older than me. And like, we sort of have the same body now, but we had very different bodies as kids. She like got all lanky Mm -hmm. and I was like extremely compact and like a spark plug. And she wanted to be a dancer. (laughs) Um, so she started taking ballet and got really serious about it. And I think because like, I think because my parents, I mean, maybe they would have taken me anyway, but I think partially because they were like, well, our one kid is doing this, then I had to do it too. And I took mm-hmm. peppermint. I understand that you let me let me allow me to allow me to allow me to allow me to describe the, the, the feeling that you described. Tell me. Bring me there. Now I was not I was not a racial minority in this group of people, but I will say okay. that the okay. feeling of being I knew something was very wrong. And I took eight years of ballet classes. Like, I was in oh, ballet God. class from when I was two till when I was 10. And each of those moments was such Agony. a problem. Like, the boys in the ballet class, oh. they would, you know, they get to wear like black 
sort of Pants. shorts. Leotard. Yeah, like, they're, they're, and then, like, uh-huh. white shirt. And I just would be like, uh-huh. come on! Like, every like every time I just was so upset <laughs> because I had to wear, you literally have to wear all pink. Pink shoes, pink tights, pink leotard. You, like, I felt so weird about my body. Nothing is hidden. You know, I'm, like, standing there, like, yeah, covering yeah. everything oh. with all my, like, and, um... <laughs> I will say that um, it was like such a source of trauma for me. I felt so bad about myself. And then I went through a divorce last year. And one of the things that I did Uh. was that I started taking dance classes because I felt like I I had had this like lifelong fear of that, like not dancing at a party, but lifelong fear of organized dancing or organized exercise classes like anything i'm like if i go to the gym same if i went to the gym i was like putting my headphones in and literally like look at nobody do not address me do not notice i'm here like i'm working out alone (laughs) very hard and then i'm gonna leave you know yeah um but i started going to dance classes and i not only took like I took, like, a bunch of hip-hop classes. I went with friends, which was shocking to me, like, letting other people see me. It was it was incredibly wild. And then I took a ballet class. I took an adult ballet class oh with fully, gosh. like, everyone else was actually somebody who had still been taking ballet, um, whereas I had not <laughs> taken it in, I think, actually, the number was 28 years. Um, oh, my God. Like, I fully... Um, Yeah, I will say sometimes in life, it's like very good to have one thing that is true about traumatic experiences is that I think it, for me, opens up a like willingness to try things that have previously been scary. Because I'm literally like, Mm -hmm. well, Mm -hmm. my life is already like short term ruined. So maybe I can just try one of these things that have always scared me. What's going to happen? You know, and it was uh, it was pretty fun. So like, oh my god, I would have loved to have been in that ballet class. Oh my god, it was so good. It truly was the one, so good. the new one. The yeah, new exactly. One. I was wearing like, you know what I got? I know what I wore? Basketball shorts. I felt amazing. I felt so yeah. I felt so on in your my terms. Power. Yes, it was great. I'm sorry, and to be honest with you, I can't say nobody, but like m- most of us d- with the body image issues that we have. Thank you universe and industry nobody wants to be up in that pink leotard nobody no 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 No. do you what how does that factor into body image stuff for you when like so much of your job is about like presenting your body or at least that's what it seems like so much of your job is about presenting your body it is it is it's really it, it a lot of it is and you know uh I don't know how I get through it because I certainly am an individual who's like, I don't want to show anything. And then on stage, I'm like half naked, mm-hmm. you know? And so it is a thing. Um, I certainly am extremely body conscious in terms of the the fashions and the looks that I wear and how I, you know, there's a little bit of, um, you know, smoke and mirrors happening. Um, and so that is my only protection. but. Uh, I wish that there was less emphasis on the body, but, you know, as a, as a, as a drag performer who does drag in the form of an, the essence of a woman, um, you know, the, 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 the sort of judge, the people judge you based on how well you can kind of transform. And as a trans woman, 
people judge you based on how well you can transform. And then as a woman, people just judge you. And so... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> So it is, it's, it's a, it's a rough, it's rough out in here, here in these streets, but we're, we're hopefully I'll just get a corset and a girdle and hope for the best. I mean, also <laughs> as you speak, it's like, you know, I hear you talking about smoke and mirrors and it's like, yeah, that's, that's also true for literally anybody in the entertainment industry because nobody looks like that no. without, a, mm-hmm. without effort. There's, there's no, mm-hmm. there's nobody, mm-hmm. there's nobody whose body just looks like that. Like there's nobody whose face nobody. just I'm looks sorry. like that. There's nobody whose hair just looks like that. That's not, that's not anything. Um, and so that is another thing. That's, it's so bizarre. And that's what we're all trying to do. Yes, exactly. You know, not everyone, but that's what, but that's like the industry standard. The industry standard is something that no one has. Absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. And actually I would also start, say maybe, maybe everyone, you know, maybe everyone is trying mm-hmm. to do something that is like, a created body. Like if that wasn't true, then mm-hmm. the fitness industry and the diet industry wouldn't be what it is, you know, and also what like creams, mm-hmm. you know, multitudinous moisturizers mm-hmm. and like every cream, know, every hyaluronic yeah. acid, glycolic acid. Yeah. La, 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 la. yeah. <laughs> yeah. How, how much do you, um, like now in this moment right now, how much are you keeping up like a sort of a, the same vibe that you would do if you were performing regularly, like face, body, all um, that stuff. Is that still happening? Oh, le- less. It's fair to say. Definitely less. Definitely a lot less. Um, now that I'm kind of back in the dating pool, though, I'm like, oh, God, I remember this. And I'm like, oh, well, OK, I guess I'll put on makeup, you know? <laughs> oh, my God, you're back um, in the dating pool. Well, that's. <laughs> That's uh yes, because I'm single again. I guess that's something that I don't know. Well, you're you're not single anymore. Mm. Um, but I yeah, I'm back in the dating pool. And so that that's that whole other it's like, you know, it's basically the same as getting in drag again, like at night and at, during the day, or like when you go on a date. Um and so aside from that, I you know, I I mean, let me tell you, <laughs> I found myself in a box of French bread pizza this summer. And I never left until about a month ago. (laughs) I gained all of the weight and I was savoring those every morsel of those French bread pizza bites. Because I hadn't had French bread pizza in years. By the way, delicious. 15 years. Utterly delicious. delicious. French bread pizza. Oh my God. Delish. It's better than regular pizza, and that's hard to. It's beat. true. Also, you cannot make it yourself. <laughs> like I get that they sell French bread. You can't, and I get that they sell sauce. Yeah, but that's not how it does. No, that's not you have how to it just buy it. You got to get it from the store, <laughs> and that's how it goes. Yeah, um, yeah, and it's delicious. And so that was that was my that was my downfall. I was actually doing really well until I was like, oh, you know, I don't feel. Uh, they were doing renovations in the kitchen in my kitchen. And I was like, oh, okay. It looks like I'm having microwave and like whatever meals because I can't cook. Um, and that was my downfall. Those Even I was getting delivery. I was getting like healthier food delivered, you know, that was ready to eat. And then then one day I was like, you know, let, oh, fresh my pizza's on sale. That was the last, the, the <laughs> last thing I ever said. 
famous last uh, words. <laughs> it's it's been hard to it's been hard to you know what, truly? It is hard to care about anything right now. And I'm that's not usually a problem that I have. I'm like usually uh I have a fire True under that. my ass all the time about everything. And this is these are some new experiences for me. Not like mm-hmm. just being like, oh, wild. I don't know what I care about. Like I that's you know, and I know um I care about larger I care issues. I care about larger issues. And then I go out and do the thing that I think, you know, is the most effective on that particular day. Mm-hmm. But I do feel a little more disconnected from the results, even. You know, like I think it before, I think I've always felt I've had this enormous privilege by the nature of my job where I always get to feel somewhat impactful. Like even if even if I haven't been doing shit, it's like I'm seeing people face to face. I'm working at this event. I'm, you know, donating this time or whatever it is. I get to feel like um, that I matter on this earth. And that mm-hmm. is like not something that I feel right now. And I, first of all, like I said, I'm realizing, oh my mm-hmm. God, what a what a wild privilege I've had for so many years. Maybe this is how many people feel mm-hmm. all the time, which is like- All the time. You know, that I don't know. That's a big fear of mine. Mm-hmm. I'm afraid of that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I hear you. <laughs> you know. Well, that's probably why we do the jobs that we do because it's a big fear of ours. <laughs> Well, heat up the French bread yeah, pizza. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so what are you, what are, what do you care about right now? Like, uh, what is it that's keeping I you? mean, I think um, I, I definitely am so engaged in a lot of, the, and I care about continuing the conversations that we started having over the summer. I care about rehashing the conversations that we were having around the Me Too movement. Um uh, and bringing those into play equally or, at, you know, at simultaneously with, with a lot of the BLM conversations. Uh, I care about getting people to ac- understand and acknowledge the importance of being able to have uh, uh, the importance of recognizing what's happening to Black trans women in this country with regards to the murder rate. Um, and one of the things that I think kind of connects a lot of those things is which we're not really talking about that actively, at least I haven't really seen a lot of, is having these conversations that allow, that destigmatize the lovers of trans people, the people who are romantically in- involved with a trans person. Uh, because those people, I think, don't have a lot of different resources and places to go. Um, and, and they certainly don't have a lot of examples in the public eye uh, you know, I think dating or being with a trans person, whether sexually or romantically or both, is something that is new to a lot of people. Uh, most, I would imagine. And even though we're, we're human, like we're human. So it's like, there's nothing like we get it. Like it's, it's not rocket science, but it is still, I think people view it as like an exotic anomaly that's taboo. And like, I think they're to the point where they can accept, okay, there's a transgender actor on this TV show or in that thing. But dating one of us is, is a whole completely different thing. Because it means that do they need to come out? Do they need to, what does that mean? Do they need to speak publicly about it? Can they keep it a secret? That's, I think that's a conversation that not a lot, enough of us are having, but I think it's really important. So I'm invested in that, which is why I, um, shot this this 
sure, I was trying to figure out how am I going to bring my album to life? What am I going to do to like bring it to life? Because I can't shoot music videos in the typical fashion that I would have shot them because of COVID and everything. And and I haven't been working, so there's no money to shoot it in the first place. Um, and so we decided to get together and shoot like a short film that would be scored by my music, which comes out in the end of in October. And in that, the there's a lot of issues that I deal with on the album, but the one issue that's central that I was like, let's bring this to the forefront and make it about this is the my relationship with my partner in the film. Um, and being able to show it in a way that's not, you know, a lot of times when we see relation romantic relationships that involve trans, especially trans women, there's like there's like somebody's carrying all this shame into the thing. There's all this trauma and shame and they're running from these people and hiding from those people. You know, like it's it's just those are realistic stories, but we never get to see the rest. And so I wanted to have like just joy, a joyful relationship where in the in the video. Um, where people can see this man adoring this trans woman and treating her the way a partner should treat somebody when they're in a relationship. Um, not killing them, which is what ends up with, in real life, a lot of the people. And so um, and so that's that's really important to me, is having those, fostering those conversations um, around those issues. Yeah, that is, that's brilliant. And, and I, I, I mean, Obviously, I know that that's where the work has to be done in terms of violence reduction, but it is it is really wild to think about um, like who we don't have playing. Like, so okay, now there are some you know trans women that we see on TV or whatever, but like who is paired with that mm-hmm. person and what does that relationship look like? Another thing that I would say mm-hmm. is I think on the um, trans masculine side. Um, of this equation, because a lot of folks that identify as like trans masculine or non-binary folks are like from the lesbian queer side of the community. I think we also don't mm-hmm, talk mm-hmm. at all yet about the shifts in those relationships, because for a lot of people, I just I think that we don't I think we're not talking about how this impacts dating like in a in a we're in not. a in a, like, yeah, OK, this is how because we don't talk about um like you said, whether or not, you know, you have to come out. I know a lot of people that, you know, I've been partnered to folks who are, who are trans folks and it, and it is a question of, so then like, I literally got this question from a listener. So like, then what can I call myself? You know, like, what are the words I can call uh-huh. myself in that moment? And what does it mean? You know, cause uh-huh. I think this exists. I think this exists within the queer community too. Like there are many, yes. many, lesbians oh, yeah. I know who date trans women and many, you know, queer folks who are, who date, you know, or are partnered to non-binary and trans-masculine folks. And I just, I think that, like, it's it's in the straight world, it's like this sort of, um, there's this, like, villainy thing going on. Like, I'm being tricked into this mm-hmm. situation, uh, you know. Yeah, like a perpetrator. Yeah, perpetrator, like an SVU episode or whatever. And then in the uh-huh. in the queer world, <laughs> I think that we act like these conversations don't need to happen. Like, I think that's also something that we mm-hmm. are doing to ourselves. I think a lot mm-hmm. of queer mm-hmm. folks who, especially queer folks who, like, really want to feel like they are, like, you know, 
woke or like of the moment. People don't want to don't act like we need to talk about this. And this is a lot of these are shifting words, shifting identities, shifting overlap. You know, like just you saying we've always been in drag like this is just these are not new things in our community, but they're things that I don't know that we necessarily do a great job of talking about. We don't. And I, and I, and I do think I'm, I am starting to see, especially in the gay male, in the gay men's side of things, um, more, and I don't know if it's just because I'm getting older or what's going on, um, more, uh, I don't know if I'm seeing more conversation. I'm not seeing more conversation, but I'm definitely seeing more, uh, cis gay folks, gay men, partnered with trans mask people, which I think is like, ah! yeah. I'm just so happy about that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, because there has always been, I mean, I have to be very honest, I, it, coming up here in the, when I was in New York City in the earlier days, gay guys, the gay guys that were going to them clubs were like, I would never, ever, you know, not to be crude, but like, I would never touch a vagina ill breeders, ill straight people. Like they were like, had this like really toxic, uh, internalized homophobic. They weren't into um, like anyone who was femme or like soft bodied or, or a woman or assigned female at birth or anybody other than cis white gay men who are macho. Those were the only, that was the, um, uh, the only people who were valued, I think. And so, you know, now seeing uh, gay guys partnered with, I mean, more than I probably even know, partnered with trans mask uh, people is great. I think I'm like, oh my gosh, this is so amazing because it just shows that there is fluidity. I remember hearing gay guys always use alcohol and the argument that like everybody's a little bi to like, you know, (laughs) not all gay guys, but some. Um, you know, really being excited by the prospect of a straight guy kind of like, quote, turning gay or like having a night with them. But but there'd be zero conversation about the fluid sexual fluidity when it comes to within the community. Um, yeah, that's right. And and I think that's important. Yeah. Oh, man, that's super cool. Um, cool. Well, friend. Because we got started at a weird time and then I had to restart my thing. I don't even know where we are in the day of how long this is gone. <laughs> like I like I like do not know, but I feel like we've covered we like we like did it, did it, did a it. A lot. We covered a lot. And um I would love to ask fifty four minutes. Woo! Perfect. <laughs> this perfect timing. I would love to ask you to shout out a queero, which is a person, place, or thing that made you feel like you can be who you are today. No one is, I'm going to get lambasted for this. Okay, so I'm so sorry, everyone. <laughs> but my queero, and please do not listen, l- let me explain. Like I should preface by saying some of the most um, uh, queer pioneers and people like that, uh, we, we know many of them. Um, and I think that the leaders of the queer movement and the leaders of... Uh, of the fight for equal rights and justice are and have been, um, and some of them are unsung, really amazing LGBTQIA folks, right? However, to me, my I'm living in a new definition of queerness, which 
certainly encompasses people who are LGBTQIA+. But the, my new definition of queerness, which isn't necessarily only my definition, um, is more of a political. Anyone who, who dares go against gender norms and all of those things. And so as a youngster, since there really weren't a lot of visible out queer people growing up, I'd have to say the person that made the biggest impact on me was actually, as far as I know, a cisgender, a uh, heterosexual man. Uh, and so that's why my queero is Prince. Oh, um, great. Who, <laughs> who great. is so queer. I mean, no, you can't argue with that, right? Who was so queer and obviously a legend. Um, and so that's, I just wanted to say that because I, I don't want to be like, Prince wasn't even gay. It's, uh, to, for me, it's not about being gay necessarily. And so. <laughs> we've First of all, I don't think we've ever had Prince, which is, which is actually kind of wild. And you know what? I, one of mine is, is David Bowie. Because when I think about how I want to wear makeup, which I actually love to wear, like that's who I think about. Um, I don't think about like you because I don't actually want to wear makeup the same way that you wear makeup. But I do want to wear makeup Mm -hmm. the way that David Bowie. The way David Bowie wore makeup. Yeah. So like I I hear what you're saying, you know, and I think (laughs) I think for Prince also on the topic that you just mentioned, like on this topic of the fluidity within sexuality, like there still hasn't been anybody who like it would almost be like if 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 Lil Nas X was like actually straight. I don't know, but like there hasn't been anybody that yeah. like, <laughs> Prince's like tiny body, like such a small body, such a like <laughs> petite, you know. And and um, uh huh. I just think that everything about that person, and then the the way that he cast himself, always with the hottest person in the movie or Uh whatever, who's literally taller than him or whatever it is, but somehow on the back of the bike. Like, that is sort of a... It is sort of a It's radical. It is sort of a... There's there's a transness to that experience also. Yeah, absolutely. And that's what I latched onto in the younger Mm -hmm. days, you know, for sure. And obviously, you know, as a younger performer, Prince was more wild and a little more radical than later. And that's normal. I think we all go through that. But just like Prince's legacy definitely is one that's wrapped up in sexual fluidity, gender fluidity and expression. And, um, you know, the, the performance of my, the, my mom had to tell me what an orgy was. And it was when we were watching a Prince performance, <gasps> yeah. uh, we were watching the MTV video music awards, one where his ass was cut out of the yellow uh, yes, outfit. Yes. <laughs> and, and it was, Everybody doing everything to each other on that stage, you know, every every combination you could think of. And I was like, Mom, what is happening? You know, and and so that's I think that's wonderful. That was, you know, this sort of um, radical, you know, sort of challenging of all of this sexuality and stereotypes, especially for a black man. Yes. And so that's why Prince is my queer. Beautiful. Well, I love it. And. You're a delight to talk to, and I hope that you have a day that is full of French bread pizzas of the soul. Ah, thank you for that. Um, 
Yeah, I will only be having the sole French bread pizzas from for at least for the next few you months while I prepare for my album. <laughs> but I would love everybody to download the album in pre-sale right now. It's called A Girl Like Me, Letters to My Lovers. I'd love for you to take a listen. It's basically my personal diary, of my last relationship put, set to music. And then, of course, the short film is coming out at around Halloween. I can't wait to watch. I can't wait to listen. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. 